What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with your questions about morality, about the faith, about relationships, about discipleship, catechesis, the church teachings, whatever it is, I will sit with your questions, I will pray with them, I will study, and I will hopefully respond in a way that is good for you to become a saint. If what I say isn't helpful, you can trash it because guess what? I'm not infallible. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, hit with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www.essentialpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can rate us and view us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. And you can share us on your social media pages. If the show has been good for you, it might be good for other people too. On today's show, our question is going to be about the ordination of women to the diaconate. And so we're going to talk about that, especially with the Senate. There's a lot of articles being written by a lot of different people about this topic, this conversation. And so we're going to just jump into scripture and into uh, the history of the church and tradition and the uh, official church teachings on this topic. So that way I can hopefully guide you in this conversation as we navigate these times that we're living in. But before we get into that really good question, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story is this. So at Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, we have the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament at the school. We have the Vagabond Missionaries in the neighborhood. And so we're really trying to bring together the church, school, and the neighborhood as one. And so we have the Axe Retreat that's coming up. Axe Retreats are super powerful, and we're going to specifically have people from the church, people from the school, both faculty, staff, and parents, uh, and then people from the neighborhood go together on this retreat to bond. Uh, and so we're, we're constantly doing these events to bring Catholics and Protestants together so that way we can have encounters with God together and then hopefully all be drawn by the Lord to the sacraments of life of the church to receive the sacraments. And then once we are in the sacraments together, use the gifts that we receive from the sacraments to transform our society. Uh, this past week, we took a trip with our parents from the school, some faculty administration from the school, parishioners from the church, and people who work in the neighborhood, to Montgomery, Alabama, to the Equal Justice Initiative Museum that was founded by Brian Stevenson. He's the guy who the movie uh, Just Mercy is based off of his book. Michael B. Jordan plays him in that movie. He's a lawyer who, um, he serves our brothers and sisters as a lawyer, particularly those who are on death row, people who are um, falsely convicted, people who have sentences that are unjust. Uh, he and his team of other lawyers, uh, they work together. They have this beautiful museum. It is amazing. I've been there five times now. This is my fifth time going. And again, we took a bus trip. So we bonded on the bus. We spent time there together. We hung out, we fellowshiped, we prayed together. Uh, and we learned about the history of slavery and, and Jim Crow all the way to the current prison system today um, and how it is still in need of much reform. And so we as disciples of Jesus Christ, we as Catholics are being invited by the Lord to to use the teachings of the church and the gifts that we've got from the magisterium to, to try to transform um, and reform uh, our, our legal system, our justice system, and our prison system today. Um, so it could be a more just place for our society, for every member in our society. It was a gift. It was powerful. It was prayerful. I prayed my rosary. There's like one of the last rooms in the whole museum. 
It's just like a shrine of all the people who fought in the civil rights movement and even before that. Uh, and I just prayed for each one of them by name. I saw each of their names, each of their faces, and I prayed my rosary for them, for all the things that they, they really, I stand on their shoulders. You know, these are the giants that they suffered far more than I will ever know. And so just thanking God for the graces he gave them to persevere and also just praying for them and um, for all those who persecuted them and, and worked against them in their lifetime. It was a beautiful rosary. And so, yeah, great, great time. My glory story is it was just beautiful to connect so many different people from my church and our school and our neighborhood together so that we could uh, collaborate together to build up, as St. John Paul the Great called it, a civilization of love. Uh, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and jump into today's question about the ordination of women to the diaconate. So today's show is it's a really hot topic right now, right? All over um, the world, people are having this question because of the Synod on whether or not women are going to be permitted to be ordained to the diaconate. Um, and so uh, before we jump into the diaconate, let's talk about the sacraments. I did a Ask Father Josh um, YouTube video on why women are not ordained to the priesthood and the episcopacy before. And again, that went down to matter and form. Every sacrament, there's seven sacraments, they all have a proper matter in a proper form. And we receive that matter in that, that form from, from God, from Jesus Christ, from the apostles. Uh, so what are the matter and form for the Eucharist, right? So for the Eucharist to be the Eucharist, even if I said the right words, like the form of, of consecration, if I use the wrong stuff, it would not become the Eucharist. So if I use cookies and milk, because I don't like wine or because I think the bread is too stale. If I use cookies and milk, then guess what? It would not be the Eucharist, no matter how much I pray for it to be the Eucharist. Even if we had a whole mass with a choir and deacons and the bishop was there, you have to have the proper matter, the stuff and the form. And so uh, you have to have the bread, the wine, drop of water with the right words of consecration for it to become the Eucharist. Uh, the same thing for baptism. Uh, there was a lot of controversy a few years ago whenever a priest watched his, his video of his baptism and, and he noticed that the deacon who baptized him didn't say the right words of baptism. And so he baptized him with water. It was in a church. The, the, the priest had, a, had the white gown on. The family was there. But instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, he said, I baptize you in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. He used the wrong words. And so because he used the wrong words, that priest was actually not even a priest because he wasn't baptized because to be a priest, you have to be a baptized Christian and confirmed. And so all of the sacraments after baptism were not valid. So he had to go and get rebaptized or really baptized for the first time, confirmed and then ordained again by his bishop. So again, the church takes very serious matter and form so much so that that priest had to get ordained all over again, right? Because the first one wasn't valid because in the first one, he wasn't even a baptized Christian because the deacon used the wrong words. So we cannot make up words. We have to use the right words, the form, and have the right stuff, the matter. For priesthood, the matter that Jesus gave us was the apostles. And the apostles were men. He chose He chose men. And, and, and then there's the proper form, right? And you have to lay hands on men. You can't choose animals. You can't choose women. It was men that he chose. There were many holy women he walked with. The holiest woman ever created was Mary. The the mother of God. Uh, she is the, the highest saint in the history of the church. 
and yet she was not ordained. She didn't need to be ordained. She didn't want to be ordained. Uh, and so her dignity came from her role as a woman, and she shared her feminine genius with the apostles and helped them in their apostolic ministry, as did Mary Magdalene and so many others. Uh, so uh, there's a matter and a form for each sacrament. And so, again, that would apply to the priesthood as as well. Now, when it comes to the diaconate, uh, we have to understand that John Paul II, in his letter, he had an apostolic letter, it was called Ornatio Sacerdotalis. He said, I declare that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women, and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful. Right? The church teaches infallibly that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women. This is the judgment that is to be definitively held by the church's faithful. This is an infallible teaching because it's the ordinary universal exercise of the magisterium. The church infallibly teaches that priestly ordination is, is only for men, right? It cannot be conferred on to women. Now, he did not specifically mention the diaconate in this. So then we might say, well, what about deacons? Because we know biblically that there were women deacons in the early church. And so we want to be biblical in our approach to this, this conversation. And so in the, the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 16, we read this from St. Paul. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but the churches of the Gentiles are also grateful to them. So there are a number of people that St. Paul is encouraging us and inviting us to extend our gratitude towards, including Phoebe. Now, here's the thing. Phoebe was a deaconess in the early church. So there is a history of women who served as deacons in the church. But the difference is this, is even though Phoebe was a deacon in the early church, she was not an ordained deacon in the early church. In the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, we read this. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the uh, Hebra, I don't know how to say this word, Hebraic Jews, Abraic Jews, whatever. Excuse me, um, I'm sorry, I can't read. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get the correct pronunciation, uh, read, listen to follow Mike Schmidt's Bible in your podcast. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procarus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert from Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the difference is that those seven deacons in the Acts of the Apostles, when they were ordained to the diaconate, it was an there was a difference between ordained deacons, ordained servants, right? The Greek word is servants here, and other people who were servants in the church, but they were not ordained. The apostles never imposed their hands on them as they did the men, right? So that's, that's the difference. The difference between deaconess Phoebe and deacon Stephen is deacon Stephen received the imposition of hands with the prayer of the apostles for ordination. Deaconess Phoebe 
um, and other women in the early church who served as deaconesses, as servants, did not receive ordination. They were never ordained deacons. They were servants in the church that we ought to reverence, that we ought to be grateful for, that we ought to imitate, but they were not ordained deacons. And we know this because in the year 325, the canons of the Council of Nicaea state this with clarity in reference to women who have been granted uh, that certain status of service. It says this in Canon 19, we refer to deaconesses who have been granted this status for they do not receive any imposition of hands so that they are in all respects to be numbered among the laity. So they are still laity. They were not ordained. They were laity who serve as servants. That's what the word deacon literally means servant. So they were laity who served as servants. So there's a difference between ordination and then what we could say would be like consecration. It's like religious sisters are consecrated religious. They're consecrated women religious. They're not ordained. They have distinct garb. They wear habits, um, but they're not ordained. Their consecration happens in a cathedral or in a church with a bishop um, or in their convent or monastery with the bishop present. They are not ordained. And so there's a big difference between ordination and, and consecration. And so what, what do we do then? So right now there's a conversation happening is do we, do we have women serve as deaconesses again in this season of the church's 2000 plus year history? Uh, potentially we could ha have them serve as consecrated deaconesses, but not ordained deaconesses because never in the history of the church were they ordained and ordination seems to be something that is set apart specifically for men, right? Because only priests and bishops can be priests and bishops and the diaconate is part of the rank of holy orders. Uh, so, I don't think, for those of you who are wondering, are we going to have ordained deacons in the Catholic Church, that that's going to happen. What probably could happen is we could have consecrated deaconesses. We can have an order of consecrated deaconesses uh, who do today what they did 2,000 years ago. What if Phoebe do? She, she, she brought the writings of St. Paul to the people, right? So she, as the woman at the well, shared her testimony. She shared her testimony. She proclaimed the word of God in the streets. She was a benefactor to the apostles, and so she used her resources to build up the church. Women deaconesses in the early church helped with baptism of women, and so the women uh, would wear this white garment, and for the sake of uh, modesty, women would be the ones to, to make sure that they were being clothed properly during the rite of baptism. Uh, and so today they could, if we had an, an order of consecrated deaconesses in the church, then they could certainly do what they did then. They could they could. We, and we already have women doing this. We have women who, who are doing baptism prep. We have, and, and really any, anybody can baptize anybody, right? And so it's, it's proper for the, you know, for the bishop, the priest, or the deacon. But in the case of an emergency, anybody, male or female, can administer the sacrament of baptism. Uh, they can go on the streets and preach and teach RCIA um, and adult confirmation and go into homes of, and communities in the jungles or our neighborhoods and share the gospel, share their testimony. They can offer spiritual direction and pastoral counseling, small group Bible studies. They can use their resources if they have money to build up the church. Uh, they can uh, assist in sacramental formation. Uh, but again, this is, these are things that currently women already do in the church. Some of the best preachers are women right now. Some of the best theologians are women. Dr. Mary Healy is probably one of the best scripture scholars in the world. She is an amazing scripture scholar and she, she forms future priests at Sacred Heart Seminary. Uh, you have women who are sharing the gospel like Sister Miriam James and Sister Josephine uh, Garrett. These women, when they speak at conferences, whether it's priestly conferences or men's conferences or women's conferences or 
youth conferences, they're typically the best speakers. They get the highest ratings from the audience because they have a charism. Sister Bethany and Sister, there's just so many of the, the, these these women who are phenomenal evangelists, these, these women who are phenomenal speakers like Gloria Purvis and Chica um, and, and so many others, Jackie Angel. They, we have we have women who are already uh, spiritual directors uh, and women who are already pastoral counselors and women who are already parish administrators of parishes. Uh, they're directors of integration and they're office managers and they're, they lead small group Bible studies and retreats. And uh, they are doing this ministry like the four doctors of the church um, we look to for, for wisdom. One of the four doctors, St. Catherine, she encourages all people to listen to women, right? Women have a certain wisdom to share. I think sometimes we, we get into a, a problem whenever we try to clericalize people and say the only way that you can be important in the body of Christ is if you serve liturgically in the mass as a priest or as as the male deacons serve by reading the gospel and by preaching the homily. More people are going to listen to us preach in the world than they are going to listen to us preach in the pews because more people are in the world than they are in the church. And so there's a greater need for men and women to go out into the world and share the gospel, to go out into the world um, and share the charisma, to go out into the world and invite people to discipleship. When the woman at the well went out to her community, the Samaritan woman, she's the reason why all those people came to Jesus, because she went out into the world. She didn't go into the synagogue. She went out into the world, and she shared her testimony. Um, and so there are a number of, of women who are did this. But again, could we have the role of deaconesses in the church today? I'm not threatened by that, but they would not be ordained deaconesses because they never were ordained in the church. And we can't take a sacrament and make it something that we want to make it, Right. Divine revelation, right? That, 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 that public revelation that we have in the church, public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. Um, so whenever John died, public revelation ended. And so that has not been revealed to us to have ordination of women. And so we can't just now make it happen today because some people want it to happen. Um, I don't think it needs to happen. I think that the some of the greatest saints of our time have been women um, and women evangelists who share the gospel in unique ways, whether it be St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who shared the gospel with the world um, because of her witness to the poor, our Mother Angelica, who, who through EWTN, um, has shared the the gospel in the church and been the probably the agent of so many conversions all over the world because of her her evangelization and media. Um, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Virgin of Guadalupe, the most conversions that have ever happened in the history of the church happened in Guadalupe, Mexico, because of Mary appearing. A woman. It was a woman. So women have a unique role. Um, they have a unique role in the church, and and rather than trying to clericalize women and say, in order to be important, you have to be um, a man. It's like, it's like for me to say, for a man to be important, he needs to be able to get pregnant and have babies. Like, no, like the masculine genius does not need, I don't have to carry a child in my body to, to be important. Um, I don't have to do that. Uh, we, don't have to, we, don't, we don't have to feminize men to make men important. Like the masculine genius is his own gift, and the feminine genius offers its own gift for the salvation of souls, for the, for the reformation of the world. So, with that being said, to answer your question, the, the synod is a gift where we are invited to listen well to people, but then also to listen in addition to the people in our community, to listen to the, the magisterium of our church, uh, to listen to the Holy Mother Church's teachings and to be formed by those teachings so that way we can best live out the gospel in our lifetime and our walk toward eternity. With that being said, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I'm going to dive into... Uh, our saint for the show, a woman saint who is a gift to us. And I think she can give us a witness that we can all uh, look to for inspiration in our own parishes today. Stay tuned. 
Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and we know, right, as disciples of Jesus, we need to be encountering God's Word on a regular basis. We need God's Word to transform our minds, to move our hearts, and yet if you're anything like me, sometimes you sit down to read the Bible and just you fall asleep, or you get caught up in the names, in the events. It can be a confusing set of books. We've created an answer, and the answer, we think, is the Catholic Bible in a Year podcast. It is produced by Ascension and hosted um, by me. For more information, you can go to ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a year. And we are back. Quick reminder, you can hit me with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. Rate us and view us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. And you can share us on the social media pages. If it's been good for you, it might be good for others as well. Our saint for the day is Saint Sister Dulce Pontes. Uh, she was a woman in Brazil uh, who Served the poorest of the poor. So she was, uh, she met John Paul II on many occasions. She died fairly recently in 1992. So at least in my lifetime. And she was born in 1914. So she was born before John Paul II, died before John Paul II as well. And she met John Paul II twice, but she was from Brazil. She grew up in a Catholic family. And uh, she, as a, as a child, just had a love for the poor. She grew up in a, a, a pretty wealthy family. Um, and so she chose to use the wealth of her family to serve the poor, even as a kid. She would invite them into her home and she would play with them. Uh, she would take care of them. She would learn how to cut their hair. She would feed them. She would offer whatever she had to people who were suffering in her community. Uh, her siblings sometimes didn't even get upset with her because she had poor people in her home all the time. After she graduated high school, she has to be accepted to a religious order, and she was, and uh, she was a teacher as a religious sister, uh, but she again had a love for the poor, and so she taught um, poor kids in the slums during the day, and at night she would find their parents, and she would teach them because she recognized that the parents were with the kids more than she would be with the kids, and she wanted the parents to be able to keep it going. Whatever they learned at school, she wanted to keep it going, so she would form the parents as well so the parents could keep the conversation happening in their own domestic church. Uh, she eventually was able to start a school um, for, for people who were working in the community and for their children. She founded the First Catholic Workers Organization, in their state to support uh, poor families who were trying to work, trying to provide food for their families. She found ways to get people medicine. She was a beggar. She begged. She had no shame in begging. So I tell you, if you have to beg for, for people in your community to have resources, go and beg. It doesn't matter how foolish we look. Mother Teresa begged and Sister Dulce Pontes begged. So we can beg too. I beg. I have no problem begging. I beg people all the time and I believe that, that this is what God's called me to do. I, I will beg the rich to serve the poor if I have to. And I do that. And oftentimes people who are, are wealthy are, are generous whenever I, I beg them enough. Um, and so she she opened up hostels um, uh, in her in her convent that she lived in because what she would do is is when she would find homeless people in the streets she would say look let me find your place to stay and she would find an abandoned building and the abandoned building would then get um, taken over and so they had nowhere to stay so then she would put them in the convent and then she would take care of them in the convent and she provided more medicine for them and she got trained more. Not only to be a teacher, but she's like, I need to be, I need more formation. And so even as a sister, she kept getting formation. So then she became a nurse and she used her nursing skills to get them pills and medicine and drugs that were good for them. Again, Sirite 38 says, take medicine. God heals us through um, supernatural healing prayers, but also through natural medicines as well of the earth. She was fun to be around. She played with the kids. She played with uh, the poor. She loved soccer as a kid. So even as a nun, she would play with children and, and she took care of their parents. And she was just a woman who was about 
about the people. Like she was about her community and she invested in her people, not just their spiritual needs, um, but she invested in their, their material needs. And because she invested in their material needs, they were open to hearing her talk about their spiritual necessities and they were baptized and they were confirmed and they were catechized properly and they received communion and they became holy. Uh, but, but she didn't try to make them holy without acknowledging the fact that they were in need. Um, by the time she died, she won the Nobel Peace Prize and her whole community loved her. They, they mourned her. Um, she was definitely uh, the Mother Teresa of, of her community, of her land. And so she was a woman and she was a woman saint who was, she had power, she had authority and, and people listened to her uh, because she wasn't trying to be, she wasn't trying to be a priest. She wasn't trying to be a, a bishop. She didn't need to, to preach from the pulpit in the church. She had her own gift of preaching in the streets. And because she embraced her place in the body, uh, her her community was transformed. And and so we look to you, um, Saint Sister Dulce Pontes, to pray for us as we continue to navigate the times we're living in, encouraging and inviting men and women of every background uh, to fall in love with Jesus Christ and to listen to Jesus, to listen to Jesus, not the world, but to listen to Jesus as he invites us to be saints in the particularly unique ways that he wants us to serve our people today. We ask this prayer, Father God, through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, y'all, until I talk to you next week, I will see you in the Eucharist. Deuces. Deuces.